welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Our society is, is always looking to find experts within a specific field to learn from, right? So we can we know what are the best practices for, for any given situation. And that's that's true around diet, it's true around you know how to handle COVID and, and so forth. And and often those experts come with a, a bit of an alphabet after their, their last name. And and it's sort of used as the quality of their expertise to, to make sure that there's there's value and reason why we ought to trust their wisdom. However, being smart and having all those letters does not automatically make one wise. Let me let me illustrate with a story of a scientist named James. He he worked in a, in a geology lab, and uh, and James was being bothered by a wasp nest, and so ingeniously he thought he was going to use the powerful vacuum they had to sort of suck up all the wasps. And so sure enough, he sucks up all the wasps, all the wasps, and they're now safely inside the vacuum cleaner. But now he's got a problem. How does he successfully kill these pesky insects without letting them out? So he gets the idea, well, he's got his trusty raid. So he decides to spray raid into the vacuum cleaner to kill the wasps, except when the, wa- and the vacuum cleaner is on, it gets hot. And hitting that flammable raid, immediately the vacuum cleaner explodes into a burst of flames and, and it, it burns off his beard and his face and releases all those wasps who then happily go and sting uh, poor James. So there's a difference between book smarts and common sense or, or wisdom, we might say. And, and as, I, as I thought about that story this, this week and I kind of laughed about it, I have to be honest, I, I remember the story of my own life. Um, you know, I've always been very curious as to how things work, how things operate. You know, what happens when I change this? What happens when I push this button? What happens if when this happens? It, it's sort of the engineer in me that wants to learn through tinkering. Well, I remember a time when I was a, a young boy and I was sitting on the floor and I, I must have been eating something because I had a, a fork in my hand. And and I, I remember looking at an outlet and seeing the outlet and seeing the fork. And, and I just had this thought, you know, the, the prongs and the fork just seemed to match the outlet. What would happen? Now, now kids, don't, don't ever do this at home. Let me be very clear. Learn from my mistake. But, but I, I did. I put the fork in there and, and discovered electricity uh, all over again. And, uh, and in case Joy hasn't already outed me under this story, yes, I was, I was 17 years old when I did that. And, uh, and one year away from starting university at the top engineering school in the country. So like I said, being smart doesn't necessarily automatically make someone wise and not necessarily the same thing. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to discover what it means to be wise, how you and I can live as wise men and wise, wise women today. So let's read our passage this morning. Our passage is in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 17. It says, Therefore, Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let's pray. 
This morning, Father, as we as we continue on in your word and we continue to see what it is you want to say to us and how you want to encourage us, we're turning to your Holy Spirit to be the teacher, to be the guide, to be the one to, to help us discover what it means to live in you and live in freedom in you. And that this wisdom is more than just uh, knowledge, it's more than just uh, book smarts, it's really ultimately going to come down to trusting you. And so we're excited for what you have in store for us this morning, and take your word and bless to all of our hearts so that we know and experience life in you greater, because that's our goal and our desire. In your powerful and precious name we pray, amen. Well, we, we've noted multiple times as we're going through this book of Ephesians that Paul has a structure to this letter. He's, he's kind of laid it out in a, in a very specific way. The, the first three chapters, Paul has laid out in great detail about who we are in Jesus, both as individuals, but also as the body of Christ. And, and so our, our union in Christ, which is known as the church as, as a group, is far greater than anything that we have that makes us different. Right, the, the, that's what's so powerful, and that's what's what this world needs so badly. Right, we see so much division in this world between race and political ideology, and 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 you know Coke and Pepsi and Android and iPhone and all kinds of things, and and all these divisions. And the only thing that can unite all of us together is Jesus. He's the answer to all that. And so Paul lays all that out in the first three chapters. But then, beginning in chapter 4, he begins to transition for the remainder of the book, for the next three chapters, describing what it means now that we're saved. How do we live? How do we go about things? And that's, that's significant because we're still here. I, I remember as a kid, after I was saved, I remember asking the question, well, God, why don't we just kind of beam me up, Scotty, and, and bring me up to heaven? And it's a much better place. Why am I still here? And, and the answer is because God has set aside certain works certain things that he wants to do in and through me. That works that, that he doesn't need me to do per se, because he, he's, he's far more efficient to do it himself or he can do it with other people, but rather he's created these works as an excuse, as, as an opportunity for him and I to, to go through life together, for him to, to uh, have an opportunity for me to know him. And so that's what he's doing. He wants to use these works as an opportunity for us to experience relationship with him. And, and often those works just include regular life, how we live, how, going to work and, and hanging out with friends or, or parenting or with our family and friends and, and so forth. And that's what he's speaking to in these three chapters. So how do we conduct ourselves in light of this incredible transformation? Right, because remember what the transformation was. You know, before I knew Jesus, I, I was stuck in alone in my shame, in my guilt, in my fear, in my insecurity, and, and I'm cut off from him. I'm cut off from God, who is the only source of life, this life that I so desperately need, which is why Paul says that we were, I, specifically me, but all of us were dead in our transgressions. And so then God rescues us. He redeems us and he brings us into union with him. He brings me into union with him. And, and so now it happens, I'm born again. I'm made into a new person, a new creation, and I'm united with him, but I'm also united with you, the other believers, because we form this gathering, we form the ecclesia, the church. And so now we're all united together in Jesus Christ, which means I'm no longer alone. I'm no longer unloved. I'm no longer rejected. I'm now loved by Jesus, included in his family. 
And that's what makes me safe because he's made me right and he's made me pure. And, and it doesn't just change who I am within. Now it can begin to change and impact how I live. And Paul likes to refer this to as the walk. In fact, he's used this, this language or this terminology multiple times throughout this book. And, and we saw it beginning in chapter four, verse one, where Paul begins to say that we're to walk in a manner that's congruent or, or, um, or fits with who we are. And that's why it's so important to understand our identity, that we're, we were sinners, but that sinner was crucified and now we're born again as saints. We're new creations. And we get to live that way. Now, now note, he's not saying live this way to change who you are. No, no, the change has already happened. Now live in accordance to who you are. Live accordance to this new nature that you have. Which is why then in chapter 4, verse 17, he says that we're to not live according to the world. Because that's not who we are anymore. We don't belong that way anymore. And so it doesn't make sense to live like them. Instead, he tells us in chapter 5, verse 2, to walk in love. To, to, to walk in a way that's loving God and loving other people the same way that we love ourselves. And so now we're going to see here in, in chapter 5, verse 15, that he's inviting us now to walk as wise men and as wise women. So what does it mean to be wise or what does it mean to be unwise, right? What's the difference between those two? Well, there are many passages that, that, that speak to this. And so we're going to look at a couple of them. But in Psalm chapter 14 and verse 1, David, the writer here, he says that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, scriptures, scriptures uh, you know, say that phrase, there is no God, multiple times, specifically in the Old Testament. And, and, and some would argue, in fact, that it's not just a denial of God, that God doesn't exist, but it's even just saying no to God. It's simply rejecting God's advances or, or rejecting God's wisdom in his counsel. One, one translation of, a, of another passage in Psalm 10.4 actually uses the language in all his thoughts, talking about the unwise person, the fool, in all his thoughts, there is no room for God. And, and, and so basically here, that, that foolishness here is not, not lacking in intelligence, it doesn't mean you struggle with reading, writing, and arithmetic, and you never got out of grade four and that sort of idea. Wisdom here is recognizing God, recognizing God's wisdom and saying yes to God, to, to following his counsel, to following his path and what he leads us to. In, in Matthew 7, Jesus talks a little bit about this. This is the, that famous parable where Jesus is talking the difference of the wise and the foolish about the two different builders. Now, it's a famous parable, but I want to read the parable to you, and, and then I kind of want to comment on some of the significant parts here. So in Matthew 7, beginning of verse 24, Jesus says that, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them, they will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great what was its fall. So you notice here, Jesus, he tells this picture of these two builders. 
And, and on a bright, beautiful, sunny day, you might not be able to tell the difference between these two houses. In fact, the one built on sand might be nicer. It, it's sort of built on the coast. It's closer to the water. And it looks good. It looks fine. But the moment the storm comes, the moment the pressure comes, it exposes the quality of the foundation. And because it's built on sand, the sand crumbles away and the, sand, and the house falls. But the other house that's built on a solid rock, a solid foundation, it may shake, it may quake, but it will not fall. It will not collapse. And so when the pressures of life come, it's okay. And Jesus is making the point that the difference is who is your foundation? Is it, is it yourself? Is it, is it your performance? Is it your behavior? Is it the world? Is it another person in this world? No matter how good they are, if that person, if it's yourself or your works or your money, your job, your reputation, if that's your foundation, it will collapse. And we will prove ourselves to be unwise in that moment. However, if we make Jesus our foundation, if he is our rock, if he's the one we're trusting in, when the pressure comes, not if, when, when the storms come, when the difficulties and the trials come, yes, you may shake, yes, you may quake, and the windows may rattle, but the house will not fall because our foundation is Jesus. Paul describes this in another passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I, I wish we had more time to really explore the whole passage in 18 to the end of the chapter in verse 31, and really goes on in the chapter 2 and even 3 as well, but we don't have time for that. But uh, we're going to just focus in on a couple key verses here. And, and, and so in verse 18 of chapter 1, Paul says this, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. This is more than just a verse about salvation. He's talking in the present tense. To those who us who are presently right now being saved, Paul's trials and the difficulty he was going through, he says he was being saved, by the power of God, which was understood and found in understanding the cross. And, and so that's what he's talking about. In fact, he's going to go on in verses 22 to 24. For indeed, the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks search for wisdom. I mean, we see that in our church today, right? Where some, some believers, they're looking for the signs and the, and the, the spectacular things. And then we have others who are focused on their mind and the knowledge and the intellect but Paul says, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, to the Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. See, what, what Jesus has accomplished on the cross, that was Paul's focus. In fact, in chapter two, he's gonna go on and say that he determined to know nothing except for Jesus Christ and the cross, Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was what he was focusing on. That's what he wanted these people to know. It's why, it's why we don't talk about the cross only on Easter Sunday, but all year long, every week, because it's understanding the cross, understanding what Jesus did for us and how God changed us, how he's made us into new people and now we're able to experience God's power in and through us that's gonna save us from our struggles today. That's why we keep coming back to it. That's why we focus on it because it's the power of God that we need. And so at the end in, in verse 30, Paul begins to wrap it up and he says, but by God's doing, you and I are in Christ Jesus 
who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Did you notice that wisdom is a person? That, that wisdom is Jesus Christ. Now we're going to speak more on that in a moment, but, but I want to turn our attention now to verse 16 briefly. So in verse 16, Paul writes that we're making the most of our time because the days are, are evil. Well, what does that mean? Well, you think about it. It's easy for us to get caught up in the rat race that is this world, right? Get caught up in our, in our jobs and, and paying the bills and, and grocery shopping and looking after the kids and, and, and taking them, you know, their different activities and so forth. Kind of less so now that COVID has hit, but eventually as the lockdowns listed, you know, especially, you know, if you got little kids, those, that schedule is going to get busier and busier as we go. And it's easy for us to get caught up in this world. But think about it. In a in hundred years, how much of that's going to matter? How much of what we're chasing will matter? Now, please understand, that doesn't mean we all quit our jobs and, and try to write the next Shakespearean tragedy, which will be studied for hundreds of years and will leave a mark, right? Although, if anyone can do it, my money's on Josh. I think Josh could do it, but I would pay even more money to see the Balfour brothers act it out. I'd pay a lot of money to see them act out Josh's Shakespearean uh, tragedy. So uh, anyways, that's an aside. So the point that Paul's trying to make here, though, is that our time on this planet, our, our time here is short, right? That, that you know, on this side of eternity is finite. And, and so he's encouraging us making the most of our time. Because what we're in, these days are evil. And what he means by that is that this is not utopia. This is not eternity. This is not the new heavens and the new earth that God has planned for us. It is a dark time. So let's make the most of it. Let's leave the greatest impact because in the midst of this darkness, there's a lot of people struggling. A lot of people who don't know Jesus. A lot of people who do know Jesus and yet are still struggling. So let's help them because in helping them, we make our greatest impact. That's, that's what I'm trying to do. That's how I'm trying to live my life that way. So that, that you know, we able to overcome the damage that the enemy has causing here, right? Because remember, his goal, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I want people to know that Jesus has come that they would have life and have it abundantly. And so we have an opportunity for in the midst of all this darkness for his light, the light of Jesus, to shine through us, his church. And that's what makes the greatest impact. Now, again, it, it's not that you have to create some huge, enormous ministry always. That may happen, but, but often it's in the little things. In, in Matthew 25, Jesus he tells the, the parable or the illustration of the sheep and the goats about judgment day and how he separates the sheep and the goats and the goats going to the left and the sheep going to the right. And understand the sheep and the goats, what, the difference isn't their behavior. It's their nature. It's who they are. And, and who we are, whether sheep or goats, isn't about your behavior. It's, it's about who you are in Jesus Christ. Are you born again? That's the judgment. But then he goes on and he, he speaks to those who are sheep and he says, come that, that who my father has blessed and receive the reward of all that. And these, these, he rewards them now for, notice for giving water to those who are thirsty and food to the hungry and clothing to the naked and visiting those who are being persecuted. 
And what's beautiful here is these, these sheep here, they're like, I don't, I don't remember doing any of that. And Jesus says, when you did all that, you did it for me. It was those little things that they didn't recognize that they were doing unto Jesus. And that's what we get to do each and every day. And so it's not that we have to quit our jobs and, 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 and you know, become a monk or anything like that. Instead, it's, it's at our workplace. It's, it's at home with our family, with our kids, with our, with our spouses. It's with our friends. It's out when we're going for walks and we're meeting with strangers or, or when we're able to do our hobbies with our, with our friends or with your connecting with people online. Those are opportunities for us to offer them the, the metaphorical water, food, and clothing. We're able to love on them just by connecting. And that's what Jesus notices because that's what's leaving the greatest mark. That's what's leaving the greatest input. And each and every one of us is going to be able to do that in a unique way, right? So understanding our identity leads to our purpose, and that purpose is going to be unique for every one of us. Paul talks about this in, in Romans chapter 12 when he, when he talks about the different kind of gifts, the, the different kind of things that, that God has given to each and every one of us. And, and we've talked about this in the past, but it's, it's worth noting again. So in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 3, Paul writes this, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all members do not have the same function, right? So there's one body. That's the body of Christ, the church. And the church is much bigger than New Life Fellowship. Please understand that. We're part of the church, New Life Fellowship is. We're part of the body. There's one church. And, and we all are one part of that one body, but each member has a different role, has a different function. And so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. So we have these different gifts and we're to practice them, we're to exercise them. And he's going to now go and list the seven different gifts. So if prophecy... And remember, prophets is not just foretelling the future. The, the prophet, as, as 1 Corinthians 14, 3 says, that is someone who encourages, who edifies, who exhorts, and who comforts, who really comes along those who are struggling. So if you have that gift of prophecy, then according to the proportion of his faith. If it's serving, in his serving, so helping other people. If it's in teaching, in his teaching, it... it or he who exhorts in his exhortation. And that exhorts is, again, that's that comforting, that's coming alongside who are struggling. He who gives with liberality, right? So if God has blessed you with the ability to make money, often it's in order to bless others with that money. And he who leads with diligence. And lastly, but not, not least, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness, Right? to come alongside those who are struggling and, and, and going through a difficult time. And, and each person has a primary gifting of one of those seven. And, and what, we're, what God's done is he's given each of us that gift primarily so that we can exercise it so the whole body of Christ could be healthy. 
right? In the same way that the, the intestines do their job and the heart does its job and the, the liver does its job and the hands does its job and the head does its job, each part is doing different things so the whole body can be healthy. And so the invitation now is to exercise that gift. I mean, let's, let's think about it this way. If you're familiar with the stories, the, the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis, the, the biggest one, the most famous one, is the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And, and there's a part of that story there where the, the Pevensey children, they meet Father Christmas. And Father Christmas is representing Aslan, who, who is Jesus. And he's bringing to these kids certain gifts, right? And so he, he brings to, to Peter the, the sword and the shield, and he, and he brings to, to, to Lucy this body of healing, uh, the, or this body that, that brings healing. Could you imagine now that, that Lucy, she's got this body that heals those who are dying and sick, but she never uses it? Or, or Peter with his sword and his shield, but he, he never goes into battle with it. It doesn't make sense. You see, they, they received these gifts to use them. It was part of their calling. And that's what God's given to you and I. He's given us these gifts so that we would use them, that we would exercise them so that they would be a, a blessing to the body of Christ, but even to others as well so that others could experience Jesus. Keep in mind, what's the source of all that? What's behind the power behind that gift is Christ in you, not your own strength and not your own power. Now, that's gonna bring us to, to chapter five and verse 17. And so Paul here, he's gonna continue on now and he says, so then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. Now, let's, let's start with a big misunderstanding about what is the will of God. There's a big uh, uh, you know, mis misconception around this idea here where that somehow that there's this perfect will of God, right? Kind of like that Choose Your Own Adventure series where if you, if you make all the right choices, meaning you don't sin, then you will stay within that perfect will of God. But every time you sin, then you've made a bad choice. And instead of going to page seven, you've gone to page 17 to choose your own adventure. And, and now you're off of that perfect will of God. And it's, it's now the good will of God, right? It's not perfect, but it's still good. And, and you'll keep going until you do a few more sins. And now, now you're away from good and now you're at, the, you're at the acceptable will of God. And you keep going. Now think about it. If, if that were the case, if that's how the will of God was determined, that, that you, every time you make the wrong choice, you get a less than perfect will of God, then just think about how many sins you've done in your life. I mean, think about when you're just a teenager, for goodness sake, right? I mean, you would be at not the perfect, not the good, not the acceptable. You would be at the, I don't know, the, the gosh, this is, this is the best that I can do for you, will of God. I mean, you'd be, you'd be so so far off that your, your will of God would be kind of the equivalent of the 1970 Ford Pinto, which could blow up at any given moment, right? I mean, that's, that's not the case. That's not how it works. That, that verse in Romans 12 that talks about the will of God being you know, perfect, good, and acceptable, and not talking about different will of, wills of God. It's talking about the will of God is perfect, and the will of God is good, and the will of God is acceptable. 
is right. Right? So it's all one and the same. Now, now the word for will here is thelema, and it, it simply means desire or pleasure. And, and what Paul's saying here in, in Ephesians 5 is that we need to understand what is it that pleases God? What is it that desire that God desires? That's what he's willing. That's what he wants. Now, there's a quick search through Scripture, and we can find some verses that will explicitly lay out for us or state what it is that pleases God. What is specifically his will? So in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, it talks about that we're to live a sanctified life, which simply means we're to live different from how the world lives. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 18 talks about that we're to give thanks in all of our circumstances. That's the will of God. In 1 Timothy 4, it talks about that God's will is that the whole world would be saved, that none would perish. And then in 1 Peter 2 and verse 15, that we're to do good and silence the foolish. And, and as a, just a quick aside there, that verse there is specifically speaking to living under the government and government leaders who, by your own opinion, are foolish, that are leading you, especially if you're being persecuted by, by your Christian faith. Peter there says, what is our response? You do good in the light of those foolish leaders. So that's kind of the will of God, right? To, to live differently from the world, to give thanks in all circumstances, that the whole world would be saved, and to do good to silence the foolish. I, I think of those as sort of the, the big picture will of God. And, and big picture meaning that it's speaking in, in general terms. That's what God wants to see, just generally speaking. But I think there's another will of God that is, is more specific to the moment. And I think that's what Paul's really getting at and has in mind right now. What is the will of God for you and I each moment right now? Right? There's the global sense that I know will, that God's will fit in those four things that we talked about. But what does that mean? How does that look like specifically in this situation? And, and I think we need to understand what is God's will in that moment? You see, in, in Philippians 2 and verse 13, it says this, for it is God who is at work in you, meaning God's, he's doing stuff. He's living in you in that moment, both, it's not only, but both to will and to work for his good pleasure, for what he desires, for what he wants. And so he's in us both to set the path, his desire, his will, and then to go do it through us. Or what we saw a couple weeks ago in Ephesians 5.10, that we're to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. What is it that he desires? And so we're trying to figure that out. So how do we recognize God's will in the moment? Isn't that a massive question? I mean, how many times have you asked yourself that question? How do I know what God wants in this moment? What am I supposed to do in this moment? Well, for me... I kind of, I've kind of looked at it uh, from this perspective. I've, I've used this verse in, I, in, in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 60, verse 17. And, and the last two lines of this verse, I, I think have given to you and I a, a general way or a, a, a way to decode and figure out what is it that God's trying to tell us? How's he leading us? And the last two lines of that verse says, and I will make peace your governor and righteousness your rule. Right? So governor and ruler speak to this idea of leading us. So God's going to lead us through righteousness and through peace. So what does that mean? Well, righteousness is, is basically 
that whatever I'm going to do must be righteous. It's why a couple of weeks ago, we spent so much time trying to define what is immorality, what is impurity, what's greed, right? What is, what is uh, unhealthy speech? You know, we, we spent time trying to, to understand that and define those things so we know that God is not encouraging, God's not leading us down that path, right? He's never going to encourage you and I to lead a life that is immoral or impure or greedy. Here's an example. I remember a few years ago, a lady came into my office and and she sat down and she says, "Well, I'm I'm, I'm struggling with the, in my marriage that that I want to lead my husband so that I could I could go and be with someone else." And she her question was, "Do you think God could ever lead someone that way?" And the answer was, "No, absolutely not." And she goes, "Well, how do you know?" And, and the answer is because it's it's against who God is. It's immoral, it's impure, it's not right, it's unloving, and it's the opposite of what God would do. And so we know it's not righteous. And so what that means is, is that God is, is able then to tell us to, to avoid all those things. So for example, if you're wondering, you know, do I go knock off a liquor store or do I go and, and, and sort of, uh, you know, cheat on my spouse or do I do this? You know that's not of God and we can immediately take that off the table. Right, so the option is it needs to be righteous. That's the first test. But the reality is there are so many things in this world that that don't really fall under whether it's righteous or not righteous. Right, in terms of you know, do I switch careers? Do I do I switch jobs? Do I do I buy this card or that card? Do I do I you know finish the basement? Do we do we help this person or that person? And 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 that sort of thing. There's all kinds of choices that we face that are are righteous, and we have options with that are righteous. So how do we discern? How do we move forward here? And and that's where I think peace comes in. Peace being that there is a confidence that this is the path that we ought to follow. So that, that, yes, it's righteous, but there's a confidence that this is where God's leading us. Now, please understand, that peace is, doesn't mean that there's no fear whatsoever, that there's no trepidation and no concern. But deeper than that, there is a confidence that this is the way forward. For, for me, I, I remember when I, when I made the change to, to leave engineering and, and, and begin to have vocational ministry and, 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 and enter into counseling, I mean, it was terrifying. I'm leaving what I was trained in, what I was comfortable in, to go do something that I was completely uncomfortable, right? I mean, I'm an engineer. Engineers aren't people people. And now you're going to put me in a room where I'm going to counsel people who are going through their, their worst and hardest times? That's terrifying for me. And yet, despite all that fear, despite all that, that uh, what was uncomfortable, there was a greater peace, a greater confidence that God was saying, this is the way. Keep walking. And with each step that I made, that peace grew. And that was what was so great was as my peace was growing, God was giving me greater confidence that I'm going in the right direction, that I'm going the right way. And, and there have been, <clears throat> there've been other moments where I've thought that this is the way that God wanted me to go. <clears throat> and I started to walk down that path, but the peace began to go away. It began to, to lessen. And that was God's way of saying, this is not the way, son. Find a different route. Find a different path. And so I, I changed courses. <clears throat> I changed tact. 
And so that's what God's doing. And so he's inviting us to discern his will through righteousness and peace. And that's what we're learning. We're learning to, to recognize his voice. We're learning to recognize his leading as we walk this way. And that's what it means to be wise, to be listening to Jesus, to recognizing his voice, and then trusting Jesus both to will and to do and to work according to his good pleasure. Because remember that I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live on that cross. That's what happened. But now Jesus Christ himself, I mean, amazing, Jesus Christ himself and the person of the Holy Spirit now lives through me today. And so that's what we're called to do. Living out this new creation in Christ that Jesus lives in and trusting Jesus to participate in what he's doing today. And, we, and what's amazing is we get to see Jesus pull off incredible things. That's what he meant in, in John chapter uh, 14 and verse 12, where he talks about greater things will happen than what he did. Because now Jesus is in me and, and Jesus is in Marco and, and he's in John and he's in Greg and he's in Janice and he's in Danielle and, and he's in Crystal and all of us. And he's doing incredible things through us. And now the church gets to be a beautiful light to a dark and fallen world. And hopefully they will heed our invitation to be reconciled to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for, for what you've done on the cross to, to make it possible for us to now be wise, to live as wise people, that, that we're new creations that are qualified now to hold your spirit, to be joined to your spirit. And now we have the mind of Christ. We have access to you. And so continue to speak to us in ways that we recognize Continue to correct us when we, when we fail to hear your voice and we, we mis mistake your voice for something else. And then also even correct us when we reject that voice, when we act like fools, even though we're not. And I pray, Father, that as we, we follow you and we live as wise people, that those around us will benefit from it, that they will experience you, be drawn to you, and experience life in you as you designed, as you intended it to be. But thank you that we can trust you. In your name we pray, amen. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.